0: Good morning, morning. I want to thank the worship team for leading us in worship, taking us to the throne of God, setting our minds right, our hearts right. Um, Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you care so much for us. We pray for your help in all that we do. We pray that you would help us to keep our minds and hearts upon you. Uh, We pray for anyone hurting. We pray for Laura's family and her brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would, uh, and her mother, that you would calm their hearts right now and, and encourage them. And Father, we ask that you would help us to look into your word and to understand it better and to live it more fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading one verse from the passage of the Bible that we're going to be looking at. And here it is. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, Because the time is near. Now, most of us are at least familiar, somewhat, with the Bible's use of the word blessed. We might say blessed, but I think uh, to fit with how we do it in church, it's blessed, right? And we may automatically think of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said things like, Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Or blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. And you know many of us have also probably heard that blessedness is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is an emotion dependent on outward circumstances. Like you know making a lot of money and being able to buy a lot of nice things that you want. That's happiness. Or like achieving great success, becoming well-liked, even kind of held up and admired. That's happiness. But when those circumstances change, and you're not making as much money, or you're not as admired as much, well, now your happiness is threatened. And maybe your happiness is gone. But blessedness is an inner tranquility and a strong sense of peace and contentedness found in placing our identity and our trust in God. Blessedness comes from being connected closely to God. One commentator speaking on the Sermon of the Mount said, Blessedness speaks to the ultimate well-being and distinctive spiritual joy of those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. That is that inner sense of peace. That's what blessedness brings, that inner sense of peace, no matter what the circumstances are. Now, that verse we read this morning says that we can have that contented, peaceful blessing if we take to heart what is written in this prophecy. And what prophecy are we talking about? Well, we're talking about actually the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, because it is self-identified in, the, in there <clears throat> as a prophecy, the whole book. And I would like to read for you the first three verses of the book of Revelation. And they tell us where this writing comes from, And again, the reward, if we take it seriously. So, in Revelation chapter 1, and verses 1 through 3, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known, Jesus made it known, by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I mean, what he's saying there is, everything John writes down in this book, he backs up. Because it's the testimony of Jesus, and it's the word of God. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near <clears throat> so this book of revelation as we refer to it is a prophecy it speaks of things to come it's from Jesus Christ who received it from God the Father and then he sent it to John by the way of an angel so there's a lot of great authority behind this, this writing. Most conservative scholars think that John the, ba- John the Apostle was the one who wrote uh, the book. You know John, one of the twelve, one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Uh, there are some others from a long time ago who think that it was maybe not John the Apostle, but some other John that was known, but <clears throat> the earliest uh, ancient evidence names john the apostle as the one who wrote it and john says in verse two that everything he testifies all the all the visions everything he writes in there which are some some are pretty wild he says they're all true and he stands behind every bit of it it's the word of god and the testimony of jesus christ Now. <clears throat> John makes quite a statement that could raise some questions in these first three verses. In verse 1, he says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay, so he's saying these are going to take place soon. And then we have in verse 3... Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Oh, when it says blessed is the one who reads aloud, he's talking about a church service where there's a reader, because that's the way it was always done. There's a reader, and then there's those who are listening. So he says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. And then here's here's the phrase. Because the time is near. So, He says he wants to write what must soon take place and he wants to warn them because the time is near. But here we are in 2022 A.D. and this what we're looking at was written somewhere around 90 A.D. So what does he mean by soon and what does he mean by near? Well, part of the answer is that God sees time different than we do. You know, the Apostle Peter talked about in his day, people were scoffing. They're saying, hey, where's that return you guys are talking about? The return of the Lord. And that was back in Peter's day, in the first century. So Peter says, they were scoffing because of that, but Peter says in his, uh, one of his epistles, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, because God stands above time, doesn't he? He works in time, but he stands above time. And then Peter goes on to say that the Lord is patient so that people have more of an opportunity to come to know Christ before they die before he comes. But here's another part of the answer to soon and near. You know, Jesus, when his apostles asked him, he was talking to them, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit coming, being poured out, as he was about ready to leave them. And they said, is that when the kingdom's coming? Because in the scriptures, it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out when the kingdom comes. So they asked Jesus, okay, so is that when the kingdom is coming? Well, it wasn't when the kingdom was coming, but Jesus didn't tell him it wasn't. He just said, it's not for you to know. He could have easily said, no, it's not coming, you know, in a few weeks. But he didn't. He said, it's not for you to know. Because he always wants us to be ready. And there are parables in the Bible, stories in the Bible that, that stress the fact, stress the, the, you know the idea that we always have to be ready for His return. And He's not going to tell us when it's going to be, but we just always have to be ready. We have to be living in light of His return. So <clears throat> that's another reason that... You know, we have such a difference from what we would think when it says the time is near. And then history also tells us that God will not be rushed. He has it all mapped out how he's going to do it. And everything that he said he would do, it's been happening. A lot of things have come to fruition. A lot of things have come to pass as he's working out this salvation plan and getting rid of sin. And a lot of it, probably almost all of it, hasn't come when we thought it would or when you would just think it would. It comes centuries later oftentimes. But that's the way God works. And He's got it all mapped out. It's all going to happen. But He wants us to live our lives in readiness for His return. Always be ready. Now, verse 3, which we've already read, promises us a special blessing if we take to heart what is written in this prophecy because the time is near. So, let's look at the greeting John gives to these he's writing to. We've already seen just the opening, but let's look at verses 4 and part of 5 here. He says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia... This map is a map of Turkey, the western part of Turkey. And that's where those seven churches in the book of Revelation were. And so those are the churches that John is talking to. And he says, To the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, well, I'll I'll read the next part. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, here is what is going on in this letter, this prophecy that's coming from Jesus. Jesus. And this could be very timely for us in our day, in our circumstances that we're facing and that many places are facing. Jesus is having John give this information to these churches in order to prepare them for rough times ahead. At this time in history, and we're talking about anywhere from like 70 A.D. to 95, you know, 70 to 100 in that time frame. At this time in history as we're going towards the end of the first century A.D., the Roman Empire is is gaining more and more power, and it's moving closer and closer to emperor worship. And as they move closer, what they're doing is they're giving the emperor more power, and they want people to turn to him, and he's going to be sort of their god. And when a country does that, they don't want you worshiping Jesus. They want you to give all your allegiance to, to the emperor or the leader. And anyone who does not take part in that, to, to view the emperor as a god of sorts, they will be pressured, threatened. Eventually it will turn into severe persecution, which it did in the Roman Empire. They did go to emperor worship, and people were severely persecuted, you know, threatened, killed, all of that. And it was around 300 that the church really made inroads and then that got stopped. But this letter to John from Jesus Christ is warning his people to stand strong. that's, That's what this is. It's a letter written to them to stand strong because persecution is coming. To remain faithful. And remember what he said earlier. He said, Blessed are those who hear this prophecy and take to heart what is written in it. So let's again look, after having said that, let's again look at, oh, yeah, four and five. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. He's talking about God the Father. Grace and peace to you. You know, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's uh, extreme kindness to us to bring, it to, to bring Christ to us. Peace is that inner tranquility from having a relationship with God. Grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come. That's just talking about God the Father his eternality, his always existence. Um, He's reminding them of who is for them, who is their father. The one who is there for them at this time, the one who has been there for him and his people all through the ages, and will be there for them forever, and will reward them, reward the faithful with eternity so as these emperors grow stronger, he's saying, Look, you have the one who, who is, who was, and who is to come. You know, <clears throat> these leaders, these, these powerful leaders, emperors, their empires, they rise and fall, don't they? We, we read about them, the rise and fall of this empire, that empire... One after another, they just fall. They have a lot of earthly power. No one thinks of of challenging them, but it's only for a time, isn't it? Until someone bigger and stronger makes them lick their boots. And then on and on it goes. And everyone who follows them, they go down with them when those empires fall. But the God of heaven reigns supreme always, no matter who's on the throne. The God of heaven is still reigning supreme. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it because evil is so strong, but he's there. He always was, he is, and he always will be. And he determines when these emperors bite the dust. He's the one that has their day marked. And he determines where they will spend eternity. And when they finally stand before him at the time of judgment, they're not going to be proud. They're not going to be big big men anymore. They're going to shrivel in front of him. But you know, it isn't only God the Father. John says here, and from the seven spirits before his throne. So he's saying you have God the Father on your side, and you have the seven spirits before the throne, and that can be uh, translated as the sevenfold spirit of God. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, seven is the number of completeness, fullness. And in in Revelation, the, the number seven is used 52 times for different things. But he, there's just that aspect of completeness, seven. In the prophetic book of Zechariah, Zechariah is shown this vision of a solid gold lampstand with seven lamps burning. <clears throat> seven channels coming from the, the burning lamps into a big bowl. And it's just all this oil from these burning lamps. Coming and filling up this bowl. And that was a vision that the prophet Zechariah received from God. And it, what it represented was this abundant supply of oil. Symbolizing the fullness of God's power through his spirit. And that's what God was teaching Zechariah. And so... <clears throat> And from the seven spirits before his throne, the abundance, the power of God in a person's life, in people's lives. So John is saying to these seven churches, grace and peace to you from the God of all eternity, who rules the world. And then he says, from, from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. When Jesus came to the earth, he was the faithful witness for God. He said what needed to be said. He said it in front of no matter who it was. He said the truth, and he testified to the truth of God. And, of course, it took him to the cross, didn't it? His enemies overcame him. Earthly, in an earthly sense, put him on the cross. He was the faithful witness all the way to the end. He never backed off. And then it says, the firstborn from the dead. He was the first one to rise from the grave. And all who are connected to Jesus, we will rise from the grave. He's the firstborn. He's the one who leads the way. He's the one that gains the inheritance. And then it says... And the ruler of the kings of the earth. When Christ comes back, he will rule over the whole earth. And any kind of like kingdom or authority or government, it will all answer to Christ. So he's the faithful witness that came and witnessed for the truth of God. He's the firstborn from the dead who rose up and now we can follow in his footsteps. And we'll rise up too if we're connected to him. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth and when he comes back he will destroy all his enemies and he will rule for eternity. He obediently went went to the cross purchasing our salvation. He rose from the dead being the firstborn so that we can also come to him and rise from the dead. John says to the churches, grace and peace be to you from the eternal God the Father, the powerfully abundant Spirit of God, and Jesus Christ, who faithfully witnessed for God the Father, became our sacrifice and rose from the dead so that we can rise as part of him. And one day he will rule over every authority on the earth. Now, you know, that's how John introduced all this. He could have said, grace and peace from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But notice how he went into detail describing each person of the Trinity. And in that we see so much power and authority and so much where we can place our trust in just in that greeting. So as these believers that he's writing to are moving closer and closer to persecution, and like I said they ended up in, in a horrible persecution. As the Roman government becomes more wicked and arrogant, even to the point of demanding that the emperor be worshipped, John wants these believers to know who it is that holds the true power. Even if somebody is whipping their backs and forcing them to do things, he's saying, that's not the true power. That's not the ultimate power. He wants them to know who it is who truly deserves the honor and glory. Even though these earthly rulers are demanding it, it's only God who deserves it. And who it is that we should never, ever, ever turn away from. No matter who tells us what to do in that area, we never turn away from Christ no matter how much it looks like, he's not in control. We never turn away from Christ. And then not only does John describe the power, glory, and strength of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in order to help these early Christians stand strong, look what he says God does for those who choose him and resist the temptation for turning away. He says, to him who loves us, And has freed us from our sins by His blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So He frees us from our bondage to sin. By His death on the cross. By shedding His blood. By enduring the shame. But then... He, in a sense, exalts us to, to positions of, of privilege and honor. He has made us to be a kingdom. And he has made us to be priests of God. So, he did all the work. If we come to him, we are exalted. Priests of God had very privileged positions serving in the presence of God. You know, Moses got to go into the presence of God. Mostly just by himself. That was just a high, high privilege. But now God has placed us who come to Christ into royalty and into the priesthood. He says, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now... Since God has done so much for us, He's brought us into freedom from our sins through the death of Christ. He's changed us into priests for His kingdom. We can live for all eternity in the eternal, glorious kingdom of God. But what it boils down to for these people and for us, we have to choose one kingdom over the other. You know, we can avoid persecution on this earth by worshiping the emperor or giving our allegiance to some some kind of political leader. We can deny Christ and receive earthly comfort and praise. We can even deny Christ and become someone that people admire and hold up and we, we get all these earthly values or we can step into true spiritual freedom by choosing Christ no matter what the cost. And then we will reign for eternity with our Lord who loved us and gave his life for us so that we may live as priests as part of his kingdom forever. And that's the choice God has allowed us to make for ourselves. God does not force Himself upon us. He graciously waits for us with open arms. And then we look how John finishes this. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. He's talking about Christ's glorious victory as he comes back to conquer evil, to destroy the nations that are against him, and set up his kingdom of righteousness, which we will be a big part of. It will be the most powerful display of the risen Son of God. It says every eye will see it. All who hurt him, or worked against him, or mocked him, or rejected him, they will be mourning at his coming. You know, I can't imagine even what it's going to be like when Christ comes down. And the armies are there gathered to defeat him. They're going to try to stop him from coming to the earth. That's how insane it gets at the end. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like when they're they're trying to stop him and he just phew, wipes them out. And it makes me thankful for my friend. Who spent so much time with me both before and after I became a Christian. Spent a lot of time with me to help me get there. And a lot of time with me to help me grow up in Christ. In the mourning, the grieving at his return will be overwhelming, I think. And then our last verse. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. That's the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty. So what choice is there? Here again, the God of all eternity, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. He's the sovereign one. He allowed humanity to make our own choice. In the garden, we chose sin. He allowed Satan to choose his own way as a fallen angel. He allowed him a certain amount of power, authority. It says he's the power of the air. But here's where it all ends. God will reclaim his earth, and he will set up his eternal kingdom. So be encouraged even if things at some point get rough for us believers. Some may wield earthly power and deny God and strut around like they'll never have to answer to anyone. And that may be true for a little while. But one day they will answer to God. And you know, life on this earth is really about making choices for eternity. That's what I think. I need to keep in mind and everyone needs to keep in mind that really as we're making all these decisions and choices our choices are supposed to be for eternity and Satan wants to keep us set right here just looking right here what is it that gives me what I want right now what is it that brings me comfort now what is it that helps me avoid suffering now but it's a major trade-off Jesus wants to reign, he wants us to reign with him forever. So much so, he gave his sinless life on the cross to pay for our sins. And our calling is to remain true to him. It's all about choosing for eternity. Blessed is the one who hears the words of this prophecy and takes to heart what is written in it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this valuable book of Revelation. We thank you for what you've shown us and what you will show us and how much this book has helped so many people over the centuries. We thank you for having it written. And Lord, we thank you for showing your power through it. We pray that we might live in light of eternity and live in light of your love for us and return your love, our love to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.